In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Jacob, my young cousin, three months younger than my daughter Paris, died this week of leukemia, a disease he battled valiantly for 20 months. He was a gifted pianist and studying at the Royal Academy of Music in London when he was struck down with this cruel disease. We all went into a prayer frenzy, friends, family, church, and he fought back hard, drawing not only his immediate family closer in many amazing ways, but all of us involved as prayer warriors for him. For the last few months, he played concerts all over southern England, won awards and stunned audiences with his strength and stamina. He stood firm. He gave himself fully to the work of the Lord. He used his precious gifts and talents, and judging by the flow of condolences passing over his Facebook wall and my computer screen, has set a lasting example of faithfulness in the love and glory of his creator. Jacob, you'll be sadly missed by all whom you touched. The legacy and the recordings of your concerts and the pure energy of your work witnessed by many will live on forever. Your labor in the Lord was not in vain. May you rest in peace. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Social Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. My guest this week is my dear friend, Teresa Bello, who's going to be talking to us about her career, so stay tuned to find out more. My book excerpt will continue to explore the issue of money, and um, I'll talk about the weather and Easter and the big event that occurred earlier this day in England. So grab your cuppa and join me for a show chock-a-block with information. Of course, before I go any further, I have to say that we were devastated by the news of the death of our cousin Jacob this week. He was only 21 and one of the most talented people I've ever met, and so generous with his gift, knowing that the music he played reached others in their pain or their joy. He decided, during his illness, not to take it lying down and gave many concerts this year to use his talent as much as possible. In fact, the last concert he gave was on Palm Sunday, and then he went straight back into the hospital to continue treatment. His parents were in awe of him and had put their lives on hold so they could be with him as much as possible. They even set up home near the hospital in London where he spent many weeks. He died in his father's arms without fear and without pain. He inspired our church friends here in America who had never met him. He inspired his brothers and sisters. He inspired his friends. He inspired all who came in contact with him. His passing was quick and came as such a shock. His mother and I were pregnant at the same time and would exchange stories across the miles. He was their youngest, and I can't imagine how they feel losing their baby after 21 short years. He was able to lift them out of their depression with his piano playing, and he worried that they were worrying over him. His father lost his sister only weeks earlier, my dear cousin Jane. 
I'm sure they feel they can go through no more anguish, and I pray they find comfort in the Lord, even though in the words of my children. This is so unfair. Well, I have friends in England who are sick to death of the coverage for the William and Kate wedding. I'm sure they're glad that today is drawing to a close. But I'm not, since I didn't watch television or read newspapers, so we all got up at four o'clock this morning to tune in to the live coverage of the royal wedding, and wow, were we wowed. I love all that pomp and ceremony. What about the music? Makes me positively glow with my English peaches and cream complexion. There's a party going on at the palace as I speak for about 300 guests. The Queen and Prince Philip wisely have hightailed it out of there to get a good night's rest at Windsor Castle, leaving Buck House, our kindly slang for Buckingham Palace, in the capable hands of Prince Harry. Of course, there's the mandatory dawn breakfast at 6am tomorrow morning for all those diehards who survived the festivities. These are such fun occasions, and I'm particularly drawn to the not-flippin'-invited party going on somewhere around Piccadilly. If I was in England, that's where I'd be. I went to a May ball once at my brother's university, Cambridge, and in true English form, the festivities started days beforehand with pre-ball brunches and receptions, picnics and dinners. Then on the day, we punted down the River Cam in the afternoon. In the evening, we went to his college for the ball and had dinner and dancing and entertainment all through the night until six o'clock in the morning when breakfast was served for all those still standing. And I was there. I mean... What's with a three-hour party? Well, apparently we're not going to be told the honeymoon destination until after they've arrived home. I wonder how they'll keep that under wraps for a fortnight. William and Kate have an abode on the Welsh island of Anglesey near the Royal Air Force Base where William is stationed. Bravo for them, no servants, just a modest living for a modern couple. I hear William likes to buy everyone drinks at the local, where I'm sure he'll be able to buy the two beers brewed especially for the occasion of his and Kate's marriage. Fuller's Royal Wedding Celebration Ale and Castle Rock's Kiss Me Kate. But neither of the new brews were served at the breakfast wedding reception this morning because... Beer is not fitting to be served before the Queen. Bon voyage, Prince Philip and your Princess Catherine. I enjoyed the celebration this morning. Thanks for getting up with me, fellow housemates. And on that festive note, it's time for my book excerpt from the chapter entitled Money, the False Idol, and how my children learned to reluctantly make do on homemade stuff. In this 13th year with a house full of needy teenagers, two of whom have graduated from school, my husband and I have looked back and wondered where our little household of dependent toddlers went. We've been through the years when everyone wanted what their neighbours had. We've survived the peer pressure of activities, the stress of overscheduling, the humiliation of homemade everything, and the years without a vacation or driving through for dinners. We have persevered and are now reaping rewards in these words. Mum, my friends have requested your homemade chocolate trifle for the reception this afternoon. Or, I have to take two sandwiches to work today because one of my friends loves your homemade bread. Two, can we have one of those big parties at our house where we invite everyone? And, Dad, will you fix my jacket for me so that it fits? Or let's just stay home tonight and swim and fire up the barbecue and cook together. 
homemade pleasures have become our hallmark of family living, and that's why we still have all four teenagers in residence. I must admit that we've had our moments when the children have tried pushing the envelope for some instantly gratifying object, and there have been times when Larry and I have felt the pinch a little too keenly on our coffers. But we have managed to get through it, and with 12 years under our belts, our pleas of poverty meet with smiles and knowing looks among the troops. Why? Well, let me try to tell you. One of the varied hide-behind arguments that superficially protect would-be homeschoolers is the issue of finances. The homeschooling turf is littered with ramifications that deal the successful and lucrative career of a mother the death blow. Just as two people become one in the marriage partnership, so two incomes become one in the homeschooling partnership. And the math begins. With the first, becoming one bespeaks of strength. With the second, becoming one bespeaks of financial weakness. At least it did with us. Homeschooling is a full-time job for at least one member of the ruling party, usually mum. It requires a secretary, read mum, to administer the homeschool, a multi-level teacher, read mum, to enlighten the emerging brains of the student body, their children. A superintendent, read mum, to outline and enforce the curricula. A caterer, read mum, to provide delicious and nutritious tastes just like chicken meals. Note carefully here, lunches are not the only meals this caterer is responsible for since it is a home school. A recess monitor, read mum, to ensure safe behaviour when outdoors. A field trip coordinator, read mum, to relieve cabin fever when spring is a long time coming. To summarise, when homeschooling becomes the preferred method of education in a household, mum has the lion's share of the responsibility with no income to show for it. The only thing she can and will delegate is the position of principal. Read dad to govern and discipline when he is remembered to be prevailed upon. It is only natural then that the saner people of this world wonder how they can afford it because obviously there is no time for the second breadwinner to go out and win bread. This, of course, was a question we asked ourselves 13 years ago. Most new ventures start with seed money, which is typically gleaned from investors who have read a proposal and considered it worthy of sinking some of their hard-earned cash into the business. Devoid of proposals, investors, and any sort of seed, which is not greedily consumed by the birds at our bird table, our proposition looked doomed from the start. Under close inspection, our peers would say we had something called the spirit of adventure, which is not for everyone and is rather like running headlong through life wearing a blindfold, not to be recommended for anyone over about seven years of age. The age of reason for any self-respecting Catholic. Catholic seven-year-olds are considered to be responsible and mature enough to partake in the reconciling sacrament of confession and the edifying sacrament about six months later of the Eucharist. At eight, they know the difference between doing something sensible versus doing something stupid. At the grand old age of 13, all reason vaporizes. This reasonless state persists through puberty and well into adulthood, if not unto death for some of us. (coughs) It is in this state that unsuspecting parents can fall, as we did, into the homeschool trap with an ease that belies all sensibility. We left our peers scratching their heads in bewilderment and causing them to hide behind their superficially protective financial arguments against homeschooling, which is where we started. 
Our children smile and give us knowing looks when we plead poverty. They have no idea what it means to go without. Having to make do with homemade stuff? Well, they're experts at that. But going without? Really not. (coughs) Okay, excuse me, but I have a little tickle in my throat. And it's almost time for us to go on a break so I can run and get myself a little cup of water and clear myself. But I am feeling a whole lot better this week. Thank goodness. And about time too. starting to feel my age being sick for so long. So we're going to go on a break for about 90 seconds. And then I'm going to be talking with my friend, Teresa Bello. So don't go too far. I'll be right back. do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn with me as the show created as much for the host as the audience. Join host Danny Walker, Wednesdays at 11, noon central on toginet.com as she invites you to get your boots on and walk through life's triumphs and troubles with her. Come learn with me is the beginning of a movement, a community filled with caring people who share information, allowing everyone to participate, gain, and grow. What works? What doesn't? Your host, Danny Walker, is a self-proclaimed student, not expert, and she'll share very candidly passions, perspectives, failures, her family's battle with illness, her restaurant, inspirations to keep being a wife, parent, and more, all the while including industry experts, disease survivors, and guests to add to the mix. For more on Danny and her show, go to dannywalker.com d-a-n-i walker.com if you've ever searched high and low to find answers to sickness disease and debt come learn with me and let's get our questions answered together come learn with me with host danny walker wednesdays at 11 noon central on toginet.com Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Okay, I'm back. And you can probably hear the wind in the background, but that's okay. It just proves that I'm alive and live. My guest this afternoon is Teresa Bello, a dear friend whom I met while our children were performing with children on stage. So we go back a few years. Teresa's agreed to join me this afternoon and share a closer look at the work she does as a specialized nurse at Dallas's Baylor Hospital. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you. How are you? 
I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. And Teresa, you know, I know you so well, but of course my listeners don't know who on earth you are. So can you start us off a little bit by telling us something about yourself, where you grew up and what brought you to Dallas if you didn't grow up here? Right. Um, Well, actually, we moved here about 23 years ago. I actually grew up on the East Coast. So I grew up on Long Island, Mm -hmm. and we moved here when our children were just babies. So my husband and I um, will be married 27 years in June, and our children are now 23 and 24 years old, so both college graduates. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, we've grown up in Texas, actually, all of us for the most part. So. Okay, well, what, so what brought you to Texas? Um, it was my husband's job. It was Reed's mm-hmm. job, and mm-hmm. he was working um, with a corporate uh, job. It was Penny's at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he first said, you know, we can consider taking this. And I remember thinking, Texas, I, I never thought I'd live in Texas. Like, do they have cars and stuff there? <laughs> and um, so, and now it's home. So aside from being away from our families, we feel very blessed to be here. And um, But that's how, that's how we ended up in Texas. And we mm-hmm. came to look in August. It was the month mm-hmm. of August when we oh. came to decide if we wanted to live here. And I don't know, against better judgment, we still came, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which, as you know, is probably one of the worst months to be in this state. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. so, but we've been. Well, here. I I remember the very the first year I was here. Um, the August was overcast every single day. Uh. They had had they had fires somewhere south of us, you know, like in Mexico mm. or something like that. And the wind had just you know brought the um, smoke and everything. And I'm thinking, everybody said August is really really hot because the cloud cover. I mean, it was hot, but it wasn't. We didn't have this sun beating down on us. And I'm going, August isn't that bad. But I have since learned. I've been here 26 years, and I know what Augusts are like. Right, right. Well, Teresa, um, we're going to be talking today about um, your career and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of how you embarked on it and what kind of advice you would give to people. But to start with, I'm I'm always interested. Um, When you were a child... What did you dream of doing? Uh, very much it, what I'm doing, except that I always knew that I wanted to be a nurse, mm-hmm. and which is what I do. I'm actually a registered nurse and mm-hmm. the specialty area, which we might talk about more, but I'm a lactation consultant, so I help yes. new families with feeding their babies with breastfeeding. Um, and But as a little girl, I was like, I know I want to be a nurse when I grow up. I also very much knew I wanted to be a mommy. I never thought about how those two jobs would work out. I never thought about could I have a career and mm-hmm. can I still have a family. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've been very blessed that I can coordinate the two. And um, so I feel like I'm doing what I'm doing, but um, as I've thought about just our, our chance to talk today, I really thought, too, the, the field of lactation, while people have been breastfeeding for thousands of years, the field of somebody actually being there to help and having this as a particular field of nursing, mm-hmm. it wasn't even created mm-hmm. when I was a little girl and decided I wanted to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. So for somebody considering a career in nursing today or for a young child, there might be an area they're being led to that hasn't even been thought of, you mm-hmm. know? And mm-hmm. I think that was pretty fascinating when I realized that. 
So yeah, that is um, that is. I, so know, as as a as a child, how did you um, manifest this um, desire to be a nurse or a parent? Did you have lots of dolls that you cared for and that kind of thing? Yes, I did. I did. I did. I I was the very much the caregiver. I was the one who I did. I had my little dolls, and I would care for them as as like a mommy. But mm-hmm. I would the the Norman Rockwell image of the little girl dressed as a nurse who has her little stuffed animals mm-hmm. that she's fixing. Mm-hmm. That is the image my parents still have of me. You know, um, right. and I would be the child on the playground. I would see the the one person alone who somebody else was picking on or making fun of and mm-hmm. I would be the one who would reach out. That would be the person I felt like I needed to be friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that always was my personality to reach out to that person um, mm-hmm. who was alone, whether it was physically or emotionally hurting. That was very much my personality. I wasn't afraid of that. It mm-hmm. didn't make me sick to my stomach. I just kind of always was led to that person. I, I just responded that way. Um, so yeah, I think that was just part of who I was from the very beginning. All right. So um, as a registered nurse, um, mm-hmm. you had to get qualified somehow. So tell mm-hmm. us the steps that you took towards that. So, well, for the job as a registered nurse, I did go to college for four years. So I did need to have a Bachelor of Science degree. So I did get a bachelor's degree in nursing and um, have worked in that, like I said, for 27 years now. I've been a registered nurse. And um, I would say for sure somebody going in now, I'd certainly encourage that that four-year degree. And um, to work in lactation, then that becomes a specialty that you can then take more hours and become certified for. But Mm -hmm. that four-year program is what prepared me to get out, and then I had to pass a board's exam. Mm -hmm. But I feel that if if you can do well in school for four years, and I feel that that somewhat prepares you to be able to take the board's exam. And uh, so that's what I did, and I was very fortunate to be able to finish high school and go right to college and Mm -hmm. and be able to take the coursework that was necessary. So So what's interesting is that in England, when um, a young girl decides she wants to be a nurse, the the route is completely different. They don't actually, well, if they go to university, they go to a nursing school. Okay. And they spend their time actually in the hospital, Mm -hmm. right from the word go. I suppose they maybe have maybe a half a semester in the classroom before they're kind of allowed out onto the wards. But they have their little uniforms, and depending on the color of the veil or the hat or whatever it is that they used to wear, and I don't think they're quite as strict about it today, denoted what year student they were. And so they would do the whole three years. I think it was just three years in England um, doing that. And they would would actually be hands-on right from the word go. So what did... How did you do the practicals? Great question. Um, Mine was different in that we had the first of the four years was taking basic academic courses. It was your psychology and your chemistry, your biology courses, uh, perhaps a foreign language. And so that first year was a lot of academic And the first semester of the second year then ended up being a little more of that that then prepared us to go into the clinical environment. So Mm -hmm. that next, um, that three and a half years, then was clinical experience with classroom. So then that was going into the clinical setting two to three days a week where we actually did do patient care. And uh, we were denoted by, at my school, it was this really 
uh, lovely yellow and white striped pinafore that we had to wear. So it was really evident when the nursing students were walking onto the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had a, an advisor. We had a clinical instructor who helped us. So, so the patients were safe. You'd never be alone. Um, mm-hmm. How it works now when we have students come onto the floor, and it will depend what program they're in as well. But I think most would still require some classroom time before they come right onto the floor. So different than England in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they will dress pretty much the same way the staff does. They'll wear scrubs, but they may now have a patch that would have their nursing school on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will actually team up with one of the nurses on the floor. So they're never left alone. They're not going to do anything that's going to cause harm to a patient, mm-hmm. but they are really getting that hands-on experience, as you said. So, and, the nurse, so the nursing school would be affiliated perhaps with a hospital nearby? Some are. It, the larger okay. nursing schools are. Okay. Uh, a smaller school, then you might just be assigned to a clinical setting that's in a smaller hospital. So, and so, so would setting. you actually go to a nursing school per se, or could you just go to any university, or do you do your first two years and then transfer into a nursing school? Mine was all done. It's a school of nursing within okay. um, a college okay. or within oh, a university. Okay. Although there are some schools that are, like Baylor, where I happen to work, a really nice facility, they are a teaching hospital as well, and so they have a school of nursing. Uh-huh. So, so it can be done either way. All right. Mm-hmm. Great question. Okay. So you're um, working in your childhood dream. So, mm-hmm. how? I mean, did it get old? Did it, Was it everything you expected it to be? Has it maintained for you? Um, have you ever just kind of... Um, cruised, you know, been cruising and gone, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm just, just, you know, coasting along or whatever. So tell right. us about your experience. Well, I think for me, um, I think you can get into that. You can very easily get into an area, into a field where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm coming every day. I'm doing my job. Is it the same thing? But um, you can then decide, do I aspire to do more than this? Do I want to be in management? Do I want to still use my mind? Um, my opportunities have been that anytime my family's needs have changed, and if we talk about flexibility later, I'll talk about how I've been able to just work a couple of days a week and still mm-hmm. be home for my children. But as my needs have changed, I've been given opportunities, and this is where I feel God has led me in, in each of my opportunities in my job, but to, to be where I need to be. But um, as I became very much stagnant in one particular position, I loved it. I loved the people I work with, but I thought, I'm not using my mind. I'm coming in. This is a very physical job every day. I then had the opportunity to start floating to an oncology unit, mm-hmm. and there I had to really step up the pace. I needed to start learning labs to be able to hang chemotherapy, and I needed to really take it up to that next level of critical thinking. And this is life and death. This is very Mm -hmm. serious. So I felt ready for that challenge. I felt like I could take that in. Um, But I saw that I was with some nurses who really didn't desire to do anything better or more than they were doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for me, that wasn't acceptable. And so I was able to move 
to that next level for me. Um, okay, so, I'm going to have to interrupt you just for a ahead. second, Teresa. For those of you who's just joining us, I'm talking to Teresa Bello, lactation consultant at Baylor Hospital, Dallas. We've been talking about her decision to pursue a career in nursing and how it fits into her life as a wife and mother. And when we come back after this short break, we'll take a look at the meaning of the word vocation and talk a little bit more about the kinds of steps that need to be taken to facilitate a healthcare path for the future. So stay with us. We won't be long. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Thursday nights, get ready for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millett, at 11, 10 Central on Toginet.com. What are the Read My Lips Tips for Success? Well, it's spelled out like this. R. Realize it is possible. E. Embrace all relationships. A. Advance through adversity. D. Develop your significance. M. Manage your health and wealth. Y. Yield to your natural abilities. L. Listen to your heart. I. Invest in yourself. P. Persist by taking small steps. And S. Serve others. Each week on the show, you'll find a safe haven whereby tips, insights, and strategies are shared by Linnea and her guests. Go to Linnea's website, readmylipstips.com. Then join us Thursday nights at 11, 10 p.m. Central for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette on toginet.com. Hey moms, get ready for Living the Dream Mom with Nina Fry. Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Living the Dream Mom is about the true realities of motherhood, the beauty and the rewards of watching your children grow. All these moms have something in common. They put their kids first. It's not about the kids all the time and the diapers and the bottles and the breastfeeding. It's about showcasing the mother in motherhood. Real moms in the real world. You get it? Now that's what the show's about. So every week, let's get together and we'll share these great stories with you guys. And I hope by the end of the show, you'll be saying, you know what? That is my life. Nina gets it. And I can't hardly wait to see what she brings me next week. Don't miss the next Living the Dream Mom. It's real moms in the real world. Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Living the Dream Mom with Nina Fry. On toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm back with my guest, Teresa Bello, and before we went on break, we were talking about um, how, you know, when you start to get a little bit stagnant in your job and it's not challenging you anymore, um, the opportunities that she had to, um, you know, sort of break out of that little um, little box that she was in and was able to um, move on and into um, other areas, and eventually um, you went into the lactation area, right? Correct. So how did, you, how did you find out about that? You said it wasn't around when you were dreaming the dream. 
Right. Uh, well, it was as I um, did oncology, I then did a little bit of bereavement support work, and the job happened. A friend of mine had actually interviewed for a position. It wasn't the right time for her with her family, and she actually called me and she said, I think you need to interview for this job. I think you need to call this hospital, and I thought, it's not very professional for me to call and say, my friend didn't want this job, but I think it sounds great for me. Yeah. But I did, and um, I before I left, they told me absolutely that they wanted me. And as I did that job, I ended up doing bereavement support for families who might have lost children. And it ended up being all aspects, um, breastfeeding education, newborn care, bereavement support, and it encompassed many of the things that I had done in, in many of my other jobs. And so I feel like God prepared me in, in any of the different fields I worked in, and um, it's just been a perfect fit. So I've done this particular area for about 15 years or more now, wow. and it's just, wow. you know, it's just a perfect fit. So I feel like that's that's what all this was leading to. All right, so you've um, said that you feel that God has led you very much in um, some of your or most of your career decisions um, in the nursing. So um, let's talk a little bit. I haven't in my um, little career corners that I've been doing each month. Let's talk a little bit about um, vocation, that word vocation, because it, it fits very nicely in with a career and a job, you know, this vocation. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I feel that, you know, a vocation is something, I think if you sit back and reflect on it, you know, do you feel made to do this? Um, and certainly when I was a little girl of four or five years old, I know I wasn't praying and asking God to to let me go to the job that I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I do this job, the affirmation comes quite often. Mm-hmm. If I leave a room and then somebody, a family member says, you don't know what a calming presence you were to, to my daughter, to my wife, to my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can tell the person who's in a job for a career or a job only, it's quite evident when you're the person in the bed, when somebody comes in to help you, to serve you, I think you know who's there for the money mm-hmm. and who's there because they're happy to serve you mm-hmm. and to care for you. Mm-hmm. And I see that over and over again. And I think there are some people who question whether a vocation, um, nursing is considered a vocation because you get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. But for me, I, I've never in all the years I've worked, I always feel I get paid very fairly for what I do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that helps me or not, but um, I really just I feel that um, when you can walk away from your job and you feel like you've served somebody, and I know that God has used me as my personality is suited. And as you know me, Vivian, um, for those of you who can't see me, I'm I'm short, I'm not very flexible, and I probably need to lose 30 pounds. So I know that God did not call me to be a gymnast, okay? <laughs> but I feel then that, that this was the right fit for me. So, um, I, you know, I just feel that that's how it's gone together and um, following God's voice. Now, as I'm older, as I've grown in my spiritual walk, I do ask God's guidance. And right now, this is where I'm supposed to be. So, mm-hmm. so um, you know, nursing is very, very different to being a doctor. So, 
um, mm-hmm. you know, for some of my listeners, um, you know, if you want to go into the healthcare um, um, segment of, of careers, mm-hmm. what is the difference between nursing and being a doctor? I mean, do you have to go through right. that first? I mean, do, do they all start, do you all start at the same level and then kind of branch off doctors, go off to be doctors and nurses go off to be nurses or what happens? No, actually the physicians will certainly go through much more education. Mm-hmm. So they are going to go through many more years of training, um, whether it's college and then internships and residency. So for the particular area you want to go to, you'll need to research and say, okay, I may be committed to eight years or more mm-hmm. of schooling. Okay. And I think each personality, you're going to decide some doctors love the bedside aspect, some really aren't suited to that. And I think then you have to decide what field you want to be in. But um, I think the demands on these poor people that um, are physicians, some are just tremendous, but I feel like sometimes they're not actually given the time to have that contact with their patients. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of pressure on them to do the tasks that are required mm-hmm. and don't necessarily have the time, even though many of them love that and would desire to take so much time with their patients, but they're not given that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So um, I think maybe the best advice for somebody going in might be to do some volunteer work, work as a volunteer in a hospital setting or in a clinic setting if they could get in there now mm-hmm. and observe physicians mm-hmm. and nurses and a tech. And that way they might get a better sense of, of the different levels and ask these people who do this every day. And that might give them a better sense of where they might see themselves later. Now, today, there's a lot of paperwork that has to be done. I think probably you've been um, Mm -hmm. working long enough, 27 years, Mm -hmm. to see a difference between when you first started nursing and today. Right. It's changed dramatically, dramatically. Um, We are actually moving more towards uh, paperless charting. So the goal will be to do more charting at patient bedsides. Um, But most of our work is done on computers at this time and definitely different from when I first started. If somebody was uh, admitted and was in the hospital for more than two or three weeks, you could have a chart that was a number of inches thick. And, of course, every piece of paper and every thing that you document is so very important and uh, much has gone to computer systems and they're really trying to find ways from one admission to have access to this information three weeks from now or perhaps a year later, two years later, if somebody comes back that we can access information to provide the very best care. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is changing very dramatically and uh, it's very interesting to see that uh, because I do remember writing and making sure you had red pen for night shift and green pen for evening shift and black pen for day shift and uh, so that's all very different now and uh, has changed a lot in these years Mm -hmm. and so um, does it take away from some of the caring that you have to because you have to do so much more paperwork now or right how, how have you found that I think for us as nurses, I think sometimes we feel that it does, but once you learn a new system, I think each of us, I can't speak for everybody, but I know I feel more comfortable with it. You recognize the importance of documenting what you've done um, because it protects the patients overall. Yes, it protects us too, um, Mm -hmm. but I think that the safety of our families, the people that we serve is so very important. So Mm -hmm. it has to be done. We know there's a reason for that. I don't feel like it takes away, and I think the goal 
role of a hospital initiating and instituting these charting methods. Their goal, what they really hope to do, is to decrease the amount of paperwork so we can spend more time with our patients. Mm -hmm. And so ideally, by getting into the computer, being proficient with that, that Mm -hmm. is going to be a quicker, more effective way to document and to access our records, and that actually would provide us more time with our patients in the long run. So I think that that's the goal overall, and and that's what we're hoping to achieve. So, Mm -hmm. um, But change is hard for everybody, and so whenever they roll out this new thing, we're like, oh, my gosh, we have to do (laughs) this, and I don't think I'm going to like it. uh, But I think overall that, you know, the goal is for us to just give the very best care to every family and every person that we meet. Um, Everybody is an individual, and Mm -hmm. it's not the same exact thing for every single person. And right, so, Teresa, it sounds to me as though um, for you, your job has been pretty steady. You've not, um, you know, you've, you've, st- you've started to be a nurse 27 years ago, and here mm-hmm. you are still, an, you know, a nurse, mm-hmm. and gone through different, you know, sort of changes and, and um, that. So, would you say in general that as a career, nursing is a pretty steady job? I believe so. I really do. I think that even as technology changes, uh, we're still going to have Vivian people that become sick or families that have children, um, people that need to be hospitalized for illnesses and procedures that need to be done. So I think that maybe the venue will change, that perhaps people aren't in the hospital as long as they were, you know, 20 years ago. If somebody had heart procedure, they might have been in the hospital for two weeks or more. And now, my goodness, somebody has something done in their home in two days. Mm -hmm. But you still will have follow-up care. So I feel very thankful, not that people keep getting sick, but very thankful that I feel secure. I think there is always going to be a need for nurses, for caregivers. Yeah, your your job isn't going to be replaced by a robot. No, absolutely not. You can't. That human element, that compassion, nobody can give you that except for another human being. And I think, you know, people are going to age, and we're going to need to care for our families. And Mm -hmm. so I do believe that that the need for nurses is, is it's not going to go away, you know. So we have a couple of minutes before our next break, mm-hmm. and then you're going to stay with, with me for about five minutes into, into our next segment. But okay. um, answer this question for me. When you come home after working, because you <laughs> work two 12-hour shifts over the weekend, Correct. Um, can you switch off when you come home? I mean, are you able to do that, or does it take you a while to wind down? Great question. It, it's gotten easier over the years, and um, I think my husband's a wonderful person to ask this if he could get on but um i have been blessed with a husband who's wonderful and he listens so while i can't share a lot of confidential information with him he's learned over the years to be a really good listener so some days i'll just come home and um i hope this is not inappropriate for your audience but as i'm changing out of the work clothes he'll just sit there and listen and i'll be like la, 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 tell him yeah. and, and that's how i unwind i'm able to say you know okay this is what happened in my day and yes i have learned to then shut it off but i'll also still tell a family, I'll pray for you tonight, this is what I'll do, and that's how I've learned to come to a little bit of peace as well at the end of my day, and then I can sign off and be at peace and go, I leave work at work, and I come home, and then it's my family again, and the same way when I go to work, I'm committed to work, 
and I leave the family at home. And I think that's how I found the balance. But that did take me a few years to be able to do in a higher stress setting, say in, in an ICU setting um, or in an area maybe a little more life and death than where I work specifically. That was a little harder to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's a great question. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um we're going to go on a break um, in okay. a few seconds here for about 90, 90 seconds. And when we come Thank back, you. I'm going to ask um, what the most exciting aspect of your career is and if it's family-friendly and if it's okay. just for girls. So Great. stay tuned and come back Thank after you. these messages. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. I love it. Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen know it. Join these soul sisters on toginet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. Showcases two sides. One, to help entrepreneurs showcase their products and tell their story of their happily ever after. And two, to interview people who have realized their own fairy tale and doing something to benefit others. This show is here to help folks who have an idea and want to get it off the ground, as well as to inspire people to make the world a better place by doing something extraordinary or out of the box to help others. Both of these entrepreneurs have their own businesses and websites. With more information on their passions and successes, first for Debbie, Fairy Tale wishesinc.com and for Diana, the next big zing.com believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true with the soul sisters debbie glickman and diana cohen on toginet.com innovation and insight problems and solutions capitalizing on your ideas and efforts that's all a part of changing the world one invention at a time with rick rowe thursday evenings at six five central on toginet.com Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions, helping you identify the real problems, and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence, and more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guest teaches how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, Teresa, um, what is the most exciting aspect of your career? Um, I for my particular area, of course, seeing new life and mm-hmm. brand new children is, is just a privilege. Mm-hmm. And But even just as a nurse, I happen to find it exciting to meet new people every day that, you know, I'm coming in. Of course, you, you have to make an impression every day, but I feel that getting to meet the family, it's not just the patient, it's the family that's with them, the people that are going to be their caregivers at home. And I've met so 
so many personalities. And to me, that keeps me on. Is It's going, okay, am I going to meet someone who's got a sense of humor? Or is this somebody that absolutely just goes by the rules? Or is this somebody who's had a hard day today? And But I find that exciting. And I've met some really wonderful people. I meet people who may not have had the privilege of the education in all classes before they've come in. And I feel that, wow, this is exciting for me. I get to teach them. They don't have the money to have taken a lot of classes before they came. So that's a privilege to me. And um, so I, I think that's a very exciting part of my job is meeting. And then you don't get to see people. them again, though, because you go back the following week and hopefully they've gone home. Right. <laughs> Most people have gone. We always, of course, in what I do, we give them an, an ability to know where contacts and resources are when they've left. Um, but sometimes I'll see them a couple years later, and, and that's always pretty neat, too. So, yeah. uh, yep. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then would you say that your career as a nurse was family-friendly? I feel that the ability I've had, yes, it has been very family-friendly in that I've been able to work different hours. Um, we've always been able to coordinate it around my husband's schedule. The The downfall has been that, yes, as you mentioned, I work every weekend, so that is hard sometimes. I don't get to go to church with my family sometimes, and as I said, the kids are grown and they're gone, but during those last years as they were home, I miss that many times. So. Hospitals, that's the one drawback is hospitals are open on holidays and they are open on weekends and they are open when your friends have barbecues and they're open when your family has parties. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, though, there's some flexibility. You know, you can be doing a night or an evening or a day shift. And so overall, I feel that I've had a lot of flexibility. I was able to be on field trips with my children. I was able to work hours opposite of my husband. So, um, again, I was able to be there for my children and, and really be the primary caregiver to them with my husband, and that was very important to me. So I did feel that it was family-friendly, and what I do is. Good. Well, mm-hmm. and also, um, when we think of nurses, we always think of women. Right. But, you know, there are boys that can nurse too. So do you work with any male nurses? Um, wait, I do work with um, not male nurses in my particular area because I'm in um, an OBGYN area. So for obstetrics and gynecology, you won't find really male nurses on this floor. And I think that's just because a lot of women, after they've delivered a baby, may not feel so comfortable with a male coming in to do their exam, although their physicians certainly um, are many male doctors, but for some reason there's still that level of discomfort perhaps. But um, nursing is absolutely not just for for girls. I mean, men can absolutely be nurses, and really in any other area of nursing, there are many male nurses at the hospitals. Um, They can work in, you know, pain management, and they can work on uh, a rehab unit. They can work neurology and neurosurgery. Um, So men can do this just as well as women can. So, yeah, I absolutely wouldn't limit somebody or um, discourage a young man who feels called to do this. I I would definitely tell them that they can certainly come into this career. Absolutely. 
Well, Teresa, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. And as as you don't actually have a um, universal website for yourself, I would I would like to say that if anybody out there um, who's local who uh, you know thinks that maybe nursing might be something they'd like to do, I'm sure you can just go on to BaylorHospital.com or .org or something like that, and I'm sure that will be a really good place to start. Do you agree, Teresa? I think so. They could probably go to Baylor uh, to maybe the School of Nursing. And uh, that might be a great resource to start. And I know there are some good nursing schools in the Dallas area, and uh, that would be a great resource as well. And, and go and try and volunteer yeah. maybe at a, a clinic or, or a hospital. And that's anybody mm-hmm. in America that's listening can go do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I know there are nursing homes. You know that there are people, just even if it's to visit, mm-hmm. um, that gets you into an area and mm-hmm. gives you an opportunity to, to reach out to people. Um, and I think that's a good chance to start. So Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so I thank you. Well, once again, thank you so much. I've been talking to Teresa Bello, lactation consultant at Baylor Hospital, downtown Dallas. She spoke about her job and how to get started in the healthcare industry. And you have a great weekend, Teresa. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. And you, bye. Well, Easter. Okay, it went well in our house. Services at church were beautiful, and I served as a subdeacon with only a couple of mistakes, which no one except the altar party noticed. And we had a guest organist from our friendly Lutheran church with whom we partner for our Stephen ministry. Ben's his name, and he's exciting to listen to. And although our regular organists at church complain that our organ needs refurbishing, hence all the wrong notes that we hear, under Ben's skilled hand, the grumbling pales to nothing as he pulls out all the stops to provide us with flourishing and complicated overtures to the long-awaited-for Alleluia hymns which we sang on Saturday night. He uses the crescendo pedal to announce Christ's resurrection to the whole city, not only those sitting in the pews of Holy Nativity Church. And after the service on that Saturday night, I caught him sneaking out of the choir loft unnoticed, and I tapped him on his retreating back and said, Thank you, Ben, you were tremendous. Tremendous, and he stopped and smiled in all his bespectacled humility. And I added, do we get you tomorrow too? Knowing we wouldn't, he only comes to play for us when the Lutherans don't have a service. And he shook his head, so I waved goodbye and said, someone else gets the pleasure of your playing then. Ben's playing reminds me of my cousin Jonathan's. He first discovered the organ when he was about 13. My grandmother had bought one for him because, in her words, he was too heavy-handed on her piano. She installed the organ at her house too, and he would practice on it to the delight or irritation of the neighbours in her large London street, depending on the time of day. He loved it because, unlike the piano... It hid a lot of sins. Clever Nana, her thoughtful purchase fueled a lifelong passion for music in Jonathan's family, and his playing was always confident and magnificent, like our Lutheran Benz. Hearing the Easter music at the vigil this week brought back many memories. Jonathan's son Jacob inherited his father's aptitude and became in his short young life a brilliant pianist. Because he was so perfect at his craft, he needed no sin hiding in an organ. So when he did treat us to church triumphant music, Wow, 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 is all I can say. And on Easter morning, 
my blue-eyed cowboy and I arrived at church only to find the sanctuary in darkness. We immediately thought, oh, we're doing candlelight again, but a quicker thinker than us quickly organised the moving of most of the stuff into the parish hall, thus ousting the brunch tables to the outside, and luckily the weather cooperated. We had power out in most of our building. So we said and sang the first mass in a makeshift space, which was fun, and for the late service the power did come back on again, and I sneaked a peek into the sanctuary and saw the floral display from the other side, all the lilies and hyacinths. And um, the colours and the fragrance were heavenly. My zookeeper son, who was looking for a car last week while I was in the midst of spring cleaning, found one. He's so fussy. It had to be a Toyota, a stick shift, a coupe, which I say the French way, and have good mileage. But he found one and managed to get it at the price he wanted. Now all he has to do is finalise the insurance and the loan. It has that wonderful new car smell at the moment. So I'm going to suggest he keeps his climbing gear in a plastic tub so that the odour from his shoes don't permeate, permeate the fabric of his new car. And yes, our party was a success. Well, how does one measure successful parties? It started at four o'clock and most of the fare offered was eaten and drunk. No one passed out, at least not in our house. And without a noted ending time, everyone had departed and we'd cleaned up by nine o'clock. Our friends from Tokinet came and saw where I do my show, complete with open door and outside noises. Good to have you here, Martins. In total, we had 35 people join us to celebrate the Risen Lord, and we discovered a few favourite dishes, a new favourite dish, a pasta salad with a literal twist. I should say the fare for the high tea this year was barbecue. We used pork loin and made faux country ribs to die for, or should I say to rise for, potatoes au gratin, the preparation of which was presided over by our youngest who knew exactly how she wanted them to taste and they were creamy and good my Texan signature baked beans slow cooked to perfection and the pasta salad primavera instead of the usual plain pasta salad which has been officially declared our new favourite pasta salad Malia made the chocolate trifle with lashings of rum. Paris made the macaroons for the fresh fruit and cream medley, and I made the Italian wedding cake. I love our Easter party. We had homemade beer, which we served because the Queen had sent her regrets. She had something better to do, I'm sure. Hubby made Singapore slings, which were sweet and cold and pretty lethal in their own shifty way. So we were watching the wedding this morning at four o'clock. Some things jumped out at me, apart from the fact that I was actually watching television that early in the morning that were typically British. First off, Malia said, why is it so early? Well, weddings in England are usually in the morning, followed by a sit-down lunch and then the party, usually without a break in between. Lots of time is taken up outside the church, taking photos before the couple make it to the reception and the receiving line. But the royal pictures were done at the Buckingham Palace after the ceremony, hence the wait for the first kiss on the balcony, or at least the first married public kiss. Um... And then there were just the little bridesmaids and two little groomsmen and the maid of honour, Kate's beautiful sister, Pippa. This is typical as the little ones make everyone ooh and ah. Also, the brides and the bridesmaids and the maid of honour followed the bride down the aisle. They didn't go in first. And there was no applause or cheering inside the abbey when William and Kate processed out. Most of us come away from the altar as a Mrs. Kate left not only as a missus, which she will never be called, by the way, she left as a duchess, a countess, a baroness, and 
a princess. How dreamy is that? And I've managed to go on for another whole hour, and it's time for me to bid you farewell for this week. I'm going to play at the. I'm going to go to a co- play at the college tonight, and then tomorrow. I don't know. I could have a free weekend. Wow, I get to clean out more cupboards. Tune in next week to find out why. And please remember Jacob and his family in your prayers. For this week, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, and the hardworking staff at Tokenet Radio, my guest Teresa Bello, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Tina, and Rosemary. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Doop, doop, doop. Thank you for joining us for the Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian.